You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. Look, I'm always excited about these BJSM podcasts, I have to confess, because we have a range of fantastic guests. But uh, today is a particularly exciting opportunity for me because I know Richard Frobel well and uh, I've had the pleasure of doing a couple of podcasts with him and visiting his centre in Lund in Sweden and seeing him present at uh, international major conferences. And he's going to share some very recent results um, related to ACL injury, which is a, a hugely important topic. So let's jump into it and uh, let me introduce Richard Frobel. He's an associate professor in the Department of Orthopaedics at Lund University in southern Sweden. He's trained as a physiotherapist and he works in a knee service program. His PhD investigated the relationship between ACL injury and its management and subsequent patient outcomes um, with, of course, interest in return to sport and uh, recurrence of surgery and things like that. So it's absolutely core business for BJSM. And, Ricard, thanks for making the time today. Thank you for the opportunity of being here. So you've just published what we're referring to as the five-year data in the BMJ. And so tell the listeners who aren't super familiar with that paper, um, you know, contextualise that for us and tell us what you think the key importance of the paper is. Yeah, so, so the study itself uh, compares two different strategies of treating ACL injured, uh, individuals who are active athletes on a non-professional level. So we compare two different strategies, a surgical strategy where the patient gets an early ACL reconstruction within six weeks uh, from, from uh, inclusion, and we compare that to a strategy uh, of non-surgical treatment where the patient starts off with rehabilitation and then has the option of getting an ACL reconstruction if needed. So we published the two-year results then in 2010 and didn't find any differences between the two treatment arms. And now we published the five-year results uh, from that study. And basically you could say that there are no differences from the two-year results. Uh, we show the same thing, no differences. What happened to the non-surgical arm is that an additional seven patients were operated on. So it's now 50% of those uh, who started off with rehabilitation alone who had a subsequent ACL reconstruction. And so why is that important, Richard? Uh, the study is important because it says these two treatment arms has never been compared in high-quality trials. So, you know, in uh, the U.S. in particular and many countries, an active athletic person who ruptures her or his ACL injury thinks, I need to get this operated on as soon as possible, really. Now, what does your study suggest to that person? Our study suggests that... Uh, several people indeed need to get an ACL reconstruction. But uh, to try to um, extend the, the results of our study, I would say that it's equally wrong to say that everyone needs an ACL reconstruction as it is to say that no one needs an ACL reconstruction. Uh, our study suggests that there is a great need of surgery for these people, but it's also possible to actually do as well without surgery. And the problem is that we don't know who will do well with either treatment. And so it's reasonable to embark on a program of structured rehabilitation and to see how one does? 
That's what we suggest based on these two publications. After two years and five years, we, we cannot see any harm from starting off with rehabilitation and then continue to assess the patients, which is important. Continue monitoring the patient, and if they have uh, symptoms of instability and, and are not working well in terms of stability, they probably need an ACL reconstruction. Now, the actual structured rehabilitation, as you refer to it, really the physio treatment after ACL rupture, it's not just a matter of doing what you like. You guys put a lot of thought into that program, and how could someone who's listening to this podcast find out the program that you used in this study? We, we published the, uh, the essence of the rehabilitation protocol as a web appendix to the New England Journal uh, paper in 2010, and that is open access, and you can you could get access to it uh, at the New England Journal homepage. So basically what we did was try to use levels uh, to uh, make the program uh, working over time. So you had to reach one level in order to, to reach the next, next level, and it includes uh, uh, all forms of rehabilitation, coordination, uh, muscle strength, uh, balance, uh, all types of things. Yes, and it, it's a structured rehabilitation uh, protocol, so this is not something that you could do as home exercises. And in your sense, um, and in your, sorry, and in your mind, Ricard, do you think physios as a group do a good job of rehabilitating ACL ruptured knees? Oh, that's a difficult question. <laughs> uh, I think so, yes. There, there are a lot of publications uh, out there on, on uh, rehabilitation after ACL injury, and I think most physios are doing a great job. What they could do is actually to maybe believe a little bit more in what they do according to the results from our study because uh, I think that there are a lot of active young adults that would do well with physio uh, and rehabilitation alone. So we don't always need to think that there, there has to be surgery before uh, we do rehabilitation. And I guess if we sort of cut to the, the chase for the folks who argue for surgery, um, they make a point about um, you know, meniscal injury, for example, in the left stable knee. What did you find uh, in your study about patients needing meniscal surgery if they were in randomised to the group that didn't have early ACL reconstruction? That's right. It was a it was a big debate after the the uh, publication of the two year results about meniscal surgery. Uh, we didn't find any differences between the groups then, but you could see that there was uh, more surgery performed in the early phase in those having an early ACL reconstruction and more surgery performed in the later phase in those not operated on. So what we did for the five-year analysis was actually to look at meniscus surgery from any possible perspective. We looked at the proportion of, of meniscal tears and meniscus surgery. We looked at the survival of, uh, of the menisci, uh, in, assuming that there was two intact menisci from the beginning. And we also looked at uh, the number of knees that did not have meniscal resections. And we looked at the frequency of meniscal resection, uh, including repeat surgery on the same meniscus. 
And we did not find any, any differences between the groups uh, after five years. Now, if you, in my reading of it, it looked like the people who did have meniscal surgery um, may have been a candidate for more meniscal surgery. Can you share those findings, please? Yes, uh, that's, that's, I agree with you. It, it looks like that, and it also looks like uh, a lot of meniscus surgery is performed at the time of ACL reconstruction. So if you look at the, the early surgery arm, you could see that there is a lot of uh, meniscal surgery performed uh, at the same time as, as the ACL reconstruction. And then if you looked at, at the delayed surgery arm, you could see that uh, also there it times pretty well with the period or, or the time with ACL reconstruction. And if you look at those treated with rehabilitation alone, you might see uh, a tendency towards uh, more meniscal resections over longer time periods. But still, at, at five years and at two years, there's no differences between the groups, or significant differences, at least. And so if you're going to summarize that in a sentence, what would you say? I would say that we, uh, I think meniscus surgery is a very interesting topic, and it, it has been uh, linked to the risk of getting OA. The problem that we face is that we don't know if one small resection is worse than uh, a big resection of the meniscus, or, or if two small resections of the same meniscus is worse than one large resection. And we also don't know if a, a resection on the medial uh, meniscus is worse than the lateral, or if it's worth having resection at, at both sides. So it's very difficult to, to actually know how to an, 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 analyze this. So we try to just open the book and be upfront with, with our findings, and, and then you have to do your interpretations uh, from the graph and from the data that we provide. Yeah, but I think it's fair, as you've been saying, just to reiterate, that um, there did not appear to be any greater prevalence of people needing meniscal surgery if they were in the group that had structured rehabilitation first and potentially delayed surgery or no surgery at all. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, over the five-year period, uh, we cannot detect any differences. And, and you might argue that that will be found after 10 years, but we'll, we'll continue to monitor this, of course, and report it as well. Enrico, that's a perfect lead into the arthritis question, and uh, obviously five years is a terrific step, and congratulations on only losing one patient to follow-up out of 121 in five years. I have to say that. So congratulations on what you've done already. This is remarkable. But um, what do you think it tells us about arthritis at this stage? And I know you're going to say that it's early. So everyone will be really interested in your thoughts. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks. First, uh, and also, you know, I'm going to say it's early, and there is not very much OA, uh, at least not radiographic OA. And again, uh, we cannot see any differences between the treatment arms. It's, it's, uh, it's equally, or at least no statistical differences, and I wouldn't even say that there is a tendency because the, the sample is small and the frequency of OA is also low. So, so uh, in terms of... of uh, treatment of the ACL, we cannot see anything. What we do see, uh, if we analyze all those who had an ACL reconstruction, 
is that there is significantly more patellofemoral OA among those having a uh, patella tendon graft. Interesting. Do you want to follow up on that? Well, yeah, it's it's uh I can follow up and say that it's it's of course not uh, definitely a sign of OA because you harvest the the patella tendon and you take the bone plug from the patella and that might cause some kind of remodeling and osteophyte formation from the surgery. So the osteophyte formation might be due to surgery. And if it continues to develop to more severe OA, uh, time will have to tell us. Are you surprised that there aren't any differences relating to you know, early OA potentially between these surgically operated and non-surgically operated groups? Uh, quite frankly, I would have to say no, because uh, there are no, in, in the very limited um, references that we have comparing surgical and non-surgical treatment of the ACL injured knee, uh, there has not been any differences between the two treatment groups. So there is a long-term follow-up from one of the RCTs from the 80s that failed to find any differences uh, from Munier and, uh, and his colleagues. Uh, there's a case control study from Muffles and, uh, uh, and his co-workers after 10 years. They had uh, cases operated on and controls not operated on, and they failed to find any differences. And there's also studies from Norway and also from Sweden uh, suggesting that uh, even that the frequency of OA might be less among those not undergoing an ACL reconstruction. Fantastic. Ricard, look, thanks a lot for uh, sharing all those thoughts. It's great to talk to you in person, and uh, I know you speak for your whole team of investigators who are very famous and uh, tremendously respected in this, in this area. It's a great privilege to talk to you, and uh, thanks for your time today. Thank you very much. And you're listening to Ricard Frobel, of course, the first author of a BMJ paper that looks at the five-year outcome of uh, patients who are randomised to either early ACL reconstruction or rehabilitation first with the option of reconstruction if it was needed. Thanks for listening to this BJSM podcast. You'll find a 100 podcasts on the BJSM homepage under the podcast tab. Follow us on Twitter to see what the new podcasts are going up and the other exciting elements of BJSM. Our Twitter handle is at BJSM underscore BMJ. Thanks a lot for listening. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.